once again, we're going to revert back to what we talked about and examined earlier today and dive into something new. So earlier today, remember the title of the message. It was, anybody remember the title of the message? The Perfect Warrior. We talked about people being perfectly trained and perfectly uh, ready to jump in to the fight. And talking about the good fight, as the Bible says, to follow God and follow his instructions. And so we talked about the perfect warrior. And Jesus is the perfect example in everything. He's referred to as the perfect teacher, a master physician, a great healer. He does everything and does it all perfectly. So you say it's sort of hard to copy that. But thankfully, Jesus gives us some other examples of people who are living perfect lives that is striving to be more like him and following God and being holy as they go along and live their daily lives. And so we talked about Jesus and we talked about Joseph, the Old Testament. So New Testament reference, Old Testament reference about people seeking to be holy. Now, before we go further... Remember, I gave you two occupations I did. I was a teacher and a chaplain. And as a chaplain, we are officers sworn in. And so as officers, what we often do is we'll give orders. And we'll tell people, do this or don't do that. So your orders for this evening are, everybody put your feet on the floor. Feet on the floor. And you can put your heels together like this, too. It's what's called tension position. And now if you have a balloon, any remnants of a balloon, or anything resembling a balloon, you can put it on the floor beneath your feet. And if you have out a Bible, take out a Bible. There are your orders. So, if you have out a Bible, take out a Bible. We talked again about being a perfect warrior. We talked about Jesus in the New Testament, Joseph in the Old Testament, and go through some training there. And now this evening we're going to talk about another person uh, with a J. Name. So, talked about Jesus, talked about Joseph. Before we do that, uh, remember, we've been here many years now, and coming here had many different roles at the camp. So, some of the different roles that I've done uh, first came as a visitor, my dad, tag along when I was young, then later came as a junior staffer, and then later. Uh, camper and the senior counselors, the junior staff coordinator, worked AV, that is audio visual things in the chapel, and now is a chapel speaker. So all these are different roles. And probably the one that I did the longest, what I would say is the hardest, is something many of you have done or may do soon, and that is junior staffer. As a junior staffer, you do all sorts of things. And unlike now, how they may say, well, we're going to put all the girls here and all the guys here. We used to work in different groups. And we would do different jobs. Someday we work outside, someday we work inside. And so the bridge that you go along to go out to the outdoor chapel and some of those things, we actually built that. I built that bridge along with other people on our team. And then we do normal duties, like it says on the new shirt now. We scrub toilets, scrub showers, scrub the gazebo, scrub everything. So a whole lot of scrubbing. And so you could be very busy and work very hard. Now, not necessarily, not everybody could do that. So, you'd be like, here, this is my wife, and she was on junior staff. She's on a coffee break. So, I took this to show you, you don't always work hard all the time, but yeah, most of the time you do. And in fact, to be honest, show this next picture. Here they are. What are we doing? We're scrubbing at the sink. So, you used to have mid sink, deep sink, another deep sink. So, you're always scrubbing, always doing this. 
And again, this goes back to the title of the first message of being a perfect warrior. You're slowly perfecting things over time. If nothing else, you perfect your patience. You have to have a lot of patience. So campers will come up, other staffers will come up and say, where is this? Tell me where that is. If they say, if I had a nickel or a dime or a dollar for every time somebody would say, when is the canteen open? When is the next BB session going to open? When can we do this? When, when, when? People always asking me, so check my watch, check the schedule. And so I slowly built up a sense of patience in perfecting that. So think of that as something you relate to. You could be on staff. You could do all these different duties. So in today's uh, message, talked about being a perfect warrior. Tonight, in order to be a perfect warrior, you have to be drawn into it. And of course, the Star Wars, the big word they say, is the force. You're drawn in by the force. But same way with ministry and living a Christian life. You have to be drawn in by a force. You can be drawn in by this, or you can resist this. You can run away from this. And we see an example of that again in our title, God with a J, and that is Jonah. So if you have your Bibles out, turn to the Old Testament and the minor book of prophecy, Jonah. Now it's called a minor book of prophecy, not because it's any less important, but it's smaller. So you have major and minor prophets, and Jonah is a minor prophet. And the name Jonah is not only the name of the book, it's the name of the author. So it's a, not a biography, but what is it if you write about yourself? An autobiography. An autobiography. Right? Different pages, different bodies. My page is 1471, just in case you want. Probably won't help you out. Page 1471 in the Archaeological Study Bible. Available at Lifeway Christian Stores. That's where my wife works. Lifeway Christian Bookstores. Alright, so looking at Jonah. If we talked about being a warrior and being drawn in by that force, just like in Christian life, you have a force that draws you here, but you can go with that, or you can resist that. Or in this case, the title we might say for tonight's message in Jonah is fleeing from the force. Fleeing from the force. Not a good thing. So fleeing from the force. And looking in Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, we have the story of Jonah. So follow along. The words will be here on the screen. I've underlined a couple of key ones we're going to touch upon later. But listen carefully as I read. It says, Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amnitai, to say, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Great winds coming. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. 
Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? He answered, he said, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And at this, the sailors were terrified. They asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them that. But the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do then to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the water, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault this great storm has come upon us. Instead, the men did their best to row back to shore, back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made a vow to him. We'll pause there and again say a quick word of prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight to focus. Lots of things that can distract us, lots of things that can get in our way, and... I pray that you would eliminate those things and help us to listen to this story and find interesting parts that we might not have considered before, but also a lesson that we can take with us. Everybody's here not by chance or by happenstance, so I thank you for every person who's here, the campers and counselors and volunteers and missionaries, all sorts of people. I pray that they would benefit, not from me, but from hearing your word and maybe picking up on something they hadn't considered again before. I ask all this in your precious name, Lord. Amen. So there's two things about the story of Jonah. First thing is, two things to be aware of, I should say. First thing is, we should be aware it's not just about a fish story. It's not about a great fish or even a whale or anything like that. It's not a sea tale. So you say, oh, I know he's at sea. He's about to get eaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about that at all. In fact, we didn't even read that part. We haven't even come to that. We stopped just before that. So the first thing to be aware of is to note it's not just about a sea tale here. Second thing is don't assume everybody knows about Jonah. Many people do know about Jonah. And many people use things from the Bible today that uh, they may not fully understand. A lot of people say, you have the patience of Job, another J guy in the Bible. Wow, lots of bad things happened to Job, yet he continued, like Joseph, to be obedient and trustworthy and be patient. And so people today will say, yeah, he has the patience of Job. And I asked a guy one time, he was older, he was 45 or so, and talked to him, so you've been around, you've read lots of books, you know things. And he's like, yeah. And I said that. I said, this guy over here, he has the patience of Job. And he says, who is Job? I said, you know, you're a grown man. You, you've been around. He said, I'm, I've never heard, heard the expression, but don't know. And I explained. He said, oh, okay. So that's where it comes from. And he was, again, a, an older guy, well-read and a Christian, but yet he hadn't known about Job. So the second thing to be aware of, don't assume everybody knows who Jonah is. Yeah, I know Jonah well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. No, 
There's more to it than that. So there's something to consider. So do that. Consider that it's not just about a sea tale. It's not just about uh, Jonah and a whale or anything else. And second of all, don't assume that everybody knows it. So you say, I know this. I'm going to tune him out. So some of you already tuned this out. Do not tune me out. And if some of you have pen and paper, whatever else out and about, you can draw, you can do that. That's great. I'm a great drawer. I draw all the time. I've drawn since I was very, very young. And I do it often in church and in college lectures and in the military and all this. I draw and take notes and doodle back and forth. They actually say it'll help you to focus better. So some people leave church before and they say, oh, your son drew the whole time. And they grab my parents and say, is he paying attention? And my dad said, are you paying attention? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, yeah, we'll prove it. What was the pastor's point? And I said, it's point this, that, that. And I'd go through and they say, hey, he actually does pay attention. So I don't have to see your eyes to know you're listening. But if it becomes a distraction, or if it becomes, hey, I still can't find Jonah, don't worry about that. Just listen. You can listen with your ears, uh, with your head down, whatever else, but just listen and don't miss what's going on. So, Jonah's story here. So you say, who is Jonah? He picks up and he gives a little bio. If you had a profile on Facebook or some other thing, it would say, where are you from? Where's your uh, hometown? Where do you live now? And so on. This is what Jonah says. So, who is Jonah? It can be summarized in three points. So again, jot them down. Again, listen however you can recall. Point number one is Jonah is a God-fearing Jew. We actually see the term fearing there. Fearing can be used in two ways, like you're scared, you know, people come along like this, ah! you know, like that, and so they can be scared. And so you say, yeah, I'm scared, I'm going to have to change my pants later, but yeah, I, I've got a good, healthy fear. The other thing is, you can have a fear in such a way where you're respected, to say, I have a healthy fear of firearms. What do they tell you? You take an NRA safety class, you pull out a gun, they say, always treat a gun like it's loaded. loaded. So in our... You know, sit there and pull the trigger a couple of times. Hey, nothing's coming out. If you've got a chamber, how many rounds usually in a chamber of a revolver? Six. Six. You can have a special seven shooter too, yeah. So you've got multiple chances. So if you click it, one, two, three, four, five, yeah. Hey, nothing's in there. Could be in the sixth chamber. So yeah, treat a gun like it's loaded. And so when they talk about things like that, or also swimming, they say, hey, that's a 12-foot pool, and I'm four foot. I know it's going to be over my head, so I know not to go where I can't either swim or push off the bottom of. And so you have a healthy fear of guns, a healthy fear of water. What it's talking about here is you have a fear or respect for God. And so there's fear like afraid and there's fear which is in respect. So he's a God-fearing Jew. He's a Jew or a Hebrew. You use the term interchangeably. It's like saying I'm from America or the United States of America. Yeah. Okay, and so Jonah is a God-fearing Jew. Point number two is Jonah is a prophet of the Lord. If you have a job, you say, what's your job? You say, well, I buy groceries at Piggly Wiggly. Hey, kudos to you. Or you can say, I'll run the drive-in at Powell's. Good. Or you can say, I'm an officer in the Air Force. Or you can say, I'm a sailor in the Navy. You can fill in with a ton of different occupations. Jonah's occupation is tied to ministry, and he is a prophet of the Lord. What's the job of a prophet? They're going to go and tell people what God has told them and say, this is going to happen, and you need to be aware of it. You can either change or you can stay the same, but this is what God is telling you is going to happen. 
and prophets of the Lord are right 100% of the time. If they're not right, then they're not tied to God. Because again, perfection is his name. So he is a God-fearing Jew and a prophet of the Lord. Finally, he is, oddly enough, a reluctant missionary. It's an odd term, reluctant missionary. So what does reluctant mean? Sort of like apprehensive, sort of you don't want to do these things. So reluctant missionary is a pretty odd term. Thankfully, none of our missionaries here are reluctant, but Jonah is. Jonah goes and he says, yeah, not going to do this. Reluctant missionary, sort of like saying you're a nearsighted fighter pilot. That's not good. Or you're a shaky surgeon. What do you do for a living? You know, I cut boards down at the sawmill. You're going to lose some fingers here soon if you're that shaky. That's not good. Or other people say, yeah, I'm a stand-up comedian, but I really don't like to get up in front of people or tell jokes or anything. Then why are you a comedian? This is like Jonah. He says, yeah, I, I really don't want, to, don't want to go here, talk to these people and so on. So he's a reluctant missionary. Shaky surgeon. You know, a shy stand-up comedian. Or a nearsighted or far-sighted fighter pilot. No, none of these things go hand in hand. They're the opposite. So with Jonah, this is the opposite of what he should be doing. He is a reluctant missionary. And you say, why is he reluctant? Well, as you go into that question, first question is, who is he? We gave you a bio basically in three points. Next question is, why? As we go to dig in a little deeper, why is he reluctant? Well, we have to know a little bit of history for this. And so the history of Jonah as a person, but also the history of the Jews. We can read some of this in the Bible. We can also read some in commentaries and other histories go with us. And what they'll tell us is that the Jews and the people of Nineveh, the Ninevites, did not get along. So much so that the Ninevites would come, as they say, with Vikings and other people and rape and pillage and steal. And so the Jews, the Hebrews said, we don't like them. We're afraid of them, not a respectful fear, but a scared fear. And they said, we don't want anything to do with them. They keep abusing us, using us. We don't want anything to do with them. So they're our enemy. So like in Star Wars, you've got the Rebel Alliance, you've got the Empire, they are enemies. And so enemies here are the Hebrews and the Ninevites, the people from Nineveh. And so this is the history that goes behind this. So Jonah's in the camp of the Hebrews and he says, I'll go anywhere, but just not there because these are my enemy. They've not only been my enemy, it's like with feuding. Talk about feuds in the Appalachian Mountains and so on, Hatfields and the McCoys, famous two families that feuded. Jonah's like that. It's not just me. It's my grandfather and great-great-grandfather and three other. We, we hate one another because they're continually attacking us and continually abusing us, taking advantage, and, and we just don't want anything to do with them. And so Jonah said, this is a long, long-held hate and a long uh, enemy force here for us, and we don't want to do anything for them, especially not help them. So you say, ah, now I see why he's reluctant. Makes sense now. But we could use this in different analogies. So we're here in Tennessee, and today, it's a big day in Tennessee. Why? There was a football game earlier today. So Tennessee played who? Alabama. Alabama. So yeah, have Tennessee. Now you've got to be careful because you can say, I go to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. That's the big one. Now other people say, I go to the University of Tennessee, 
Chattanooga. You know, so it's different. So it's like UNC Chapel Hill versus UNC Greensboro. Slightly different, yeah. So UNC Knoxville is the flagship for the University of Tennessee. Established, anybody know? 1797. Okay, CET. So University of Tennessee Knoxville, flagship, big campus, huge stadium there. And today they had the game between Tennessee Volunteers and the Crimson Tide of Alabama. So if you would think about that and you say, yeah, I'm, let's just assume us being in Tennessee, we're all Tennessee fans. If you're not, well, you can step out of my example for the time being. But anyway, you're in Tennessee, you're Tennessee fans. You know, that makes sense most of the time. Other people say, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm a Huskers fan or I'm a Hoosiers fan. Where are you from? Alaska? Well, why do you like them? You know, it doesn't make sense. Usually you like where you live. Or else you could be the other way. You say, I like them because my grandfather went there. Or, you know, my great-great-grandfather, he worked at the, at the stadium. It's like Jonah. You have a family connection. And so we're all in Tennessee. We're Tennessee fans, or at least that's going to be the closest school. When somebody comes to say, I can tell you what, big university here, we got a job for you. we got a job you're going to get swag. You're going to get a parking pass up front. You're going to be able to come in. You got your annual season pass for all the games, whether you want to see a football game, whether you want to see girls field hockey, whatever it is. Here's a season pass. You can park up front again and get name embroidered on your shirt. You say, yes, and you pick out your job. You could be a nurse for the football team. You could be a coach for the gymnastics team. You could work in janitorial service. You could be a professor. You're going to be tied to a major state university, and you say, yes. It's a dream job for me. I get all this stuff that's coming my way. And it flows perfectly with what I want to do, that occupation, your occupation, you think of in your head. You say, this will work out great. Get this stuff coming? You're going to go and do your job? Yes. You're going to go and pick up this stuff? Go with the plan, carry it out? Yes, yes. And it's at the university, uh, you know, Alabama. You say, wait, wait, I thought we were going to UT. Oh, no, no, it's not UT. We're going to Alabama, and that's where you're going to work. That's where you're going to get free stuff. Well, I didn't know that. People turn around, fold their arms. I didn't know that. Well, see, that's what Jonah's done. Jonah, you get to be a prophet. Yes. You get to carry out things, carry out my plan, go and tell people about me. Okay, yeah. And you're going to go to Nineveh. Whoa, wait. I'll go anywhere. Nineveh is anywhere, but Nineveh. Sort of like, I'll root for anybody but Alabama. People say, oh, well, then we got a problem here because I thought you were going to send me here. Well, that, that could have been the plan, but they need you more here, and that's where we're going to send you today. So Noah assumes a position like this, Jonah, excuse me, and he says, no, I, I don't want to go there. And so he flees from God, and he resists the force that's pulling him there. Always a good plan, right? No. Sort of like, when teachers come up to you, they say, could you do this? You say, well, I guess I don't want to, but no. And it could be a big teacher, it could be a small teacher, whatever. But have you ever been in a situation where a teacher, a coach, a boss, whoever it is, comes to you? They could be a big guy, a big woman like this. They look down and they say, you need to do this now. And usually I nod and I say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. I'm going to go ahead and take care of this now because I don't want to face their wrath. I'm going to follow with what they say. I saw a big woman one time. She was taught to special ed at my elementary school. 
And she would come over there and say, get on the bus. Yes, ma'am. And she'd just tell them where to go, when to go. She'd patrol around like this. She had a whistle, had a ruler, and she'd look very intimidating. And somebody came over there and she said, you need to hurry up and get this way. Well, I'm doing something right now. And he came over there, Miss Jackson, what's her name? So like Stonewall Jackson, or Andrew Jackson. She came over and she said, you need to get on the bus. And the guy said, well, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing something right now. You know, playing with the Game Boy, playing with whatever. She said, you need to go now. And he said, well, I'll, I'll do it in a minute. And she went, excuse me? And he said, I'll do it in a minute. And she said, do I look like I have stupid written on my face? And I thought, oh, here it comes. The boys respond, I don't know, maybe. I just put my head down. And all of a sudden, I just saw her just taken by the arm and lead him over there. And I was like that. I don't know what she did to him, but she, she put a fear into him again. She said, you need to get on the bus next thing. Guys like this. So a force to be reckoned with, we're not going to mess with. That was Miss Jackson. So here's Miss Jackson, elementary school teacher. Yeah, it could be an intimidating force. Now compare that to God. God says, you're going to go and do this. Well, I don't know that I want to. <laughs> what are you doing? It's like other people with him. You say, it doesn't affect anybody else. Does it? Yeah, it does. We see that right now. So she would say, I'm going to turn away from God. Sort of, I'm busy. I'm doing this. I've got my own thing. You say, I'm going to run away. And you say, gosh, what a stupid move. You say that, but yet we do that a lot of times. And that's what Jonah does here. So he showed you a perfect example today. Now we show you an imperfect example, things that can go wrong. And does that affect us? Yes. It also affects the people around us. So in this story, we get a glimpse of God's force. And God's force, unlike Mrs. Jackson, or unlike your coach, or unlike a state trooper, whatever it is, it's, it's more than intimidating. You can be all struck by it in a good way, in a bad way. It depends on which side of the force you're on. Want to be on the dark side? Want to be on the light side? The light side, yeah. And so we get a glimpse of God's force here in Jonah. So the first thing that we see with God's force is it has the power to save. It can save physically. It can save spiritually. Whatever he wants to do, God can do this. You say, he hasn't saved Jonah? Oh, yeah, he did. He hasn't killed him. You say, he flung overboard. But he's providing a means out. He's providing a means out coming here soon. So you can save them physically and save people spiritually. Next, God's force can teach people. Can teach people like you, like me. As you remember in Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi comes with Luke and they pull into town and a famous line people say with the droids behind them, Stormtrooper comes over and he says, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And he goes, these aren't the droids we're looking for. <laughs> It sounds just like Alexander. He said, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And he says, you can go about your business. You can go about your business. And then Luke later, he says, wow. He said, how did you do that? And his answer was, the force has power on the weak-minded. I describe a lot of my students sometimes. Say, so you need to go downstairs. Well, I don't, you need to go down. Okay, I'll go downstairs. You know, sort of go with the flow. Often exercise my force too. Anybody go into Walmart, you go to the airport, wherever, they got the automatic doors. I always do this. I go like that and they open. People are like, oh, I have the force. So see, we can joke about things like that and it's good to be on the good side of the force. 
But Jonah's on the opposite side. So this force, it can save people physically, spiritually, also teach people. And most importantly, this force can show us God's grace and His love. And yet Jonah says, no, I don't want any part of that. And so he says, I'm going to step away from God's force because I don't need that. I'm going to flee from that now. Again, why? Why are you doing this? I don't know. And on top of that, God, yeah, by the way, he can talk to, just like Dr. Doolittle, the animals. And he can call a fish. He can call a bird. He can call whatever to do this, to do that at a whim. And by the way, when the sailors say, who is this God? Who are you following? He said, oh, you know, you know God, the big G, the one who controls the land and the sea. And just like me overhearing that kid's dumb response to Miss Jackson, the sailors go, you've gotten in trouble with the guy who's made the sea and the land and controls this? Smooth move. Way to go. So they're all tossing and turning. And so his bad decision has affected people around them. That's the first lesson you could take away. If nothing else, say, if I do something bad, if I do something stupid, it can affect me and other people. And the Bible says here, these sailors. So if you're in the Air Force, you're called an airman. If you're in the Army, you're called a soldier. If you're in the Navy, you're called a sailor. And you have the Marines, you have the Coast Guards, they're sailors too. And so when you hear those terms, you think of a professional who has some sort of specialized training. So I could be in the Air Force and never set foot on a ship or never set foot in a tank. Uh, but if I'm in the Navy, I'm probably likely going to be on a ship and going to be around water. In fact, all Navy personnel, regardless of rank, when you come in, you have to do swim testing. So Lindsay's dad, my father-in-law did that, and he said we had to come and do swimming. And they had something cool. Depends on your definition. I know Uncle Paul likes to swim. So imagine this. In the Navy, as you go in, they have something that's called the USS Buttercup. They say, hey, that's a nice name for a ship. It's a mock ship. It's not a real ship, but it looks like a ship on the inside. So it's got all the wheels and levers and like this and piping. You're in a steel sort of box, and it, it resembles the inside of a ship. So they say, yeah, we're going to do training on the USS Buttercup today. The United States ship. Take you down in this sort of blindfold you and then look up and it's like, hey, we're in a ship. And then it'll go, whoop, whoop. They said, we're in emergency procedures, prepare, and they flood the tank. Water begins flooding like this. They say, it's up to you and your crew to be able to stay calm and shut off the water and control the situation. Do you like to do that? Water's rising like this. They say, yeah. You go like this, you get to the top, water goes higher and higher, then you turn off the valves, shut this down. They say, you pass the exercise. I wouldn't want any part of that. Especially if people say, I'm, I'm a little nervous around water. Then don't go for the Navy. Try something else. So here are these people who they've done these drills. And in fact, they're not just sailors. We'll say they're, they're mariners and other, other translations. They'll say they make their living at the sea. So mariners, sailors, all these people. They're like Navy SEALs. They're tough. They're, they're like, we load heavy cargo, we're at, we're at sea on our ship for days, months on end, nothing is going to phase us. And yet, God's force, again, you can be on the good side of it or on the bad side of it, thanks to Jonah, they're on the bad side of it. So they come over there, 
And these sailors who make their living at sea are scared of the water. Think about that. You're a sailor and you're scared of the water. Sort of like saying, you know, I, I like to drive fast. In fact, I, I've raced for NASCAR before. And, you know, I, I've raced around with Jeff Gordon and other things. Hey, and I, I love to drive, love to drive fast. We put you in a car and start driving, driving faster and faster. And finally, ah, slow down. How fast do you need to be going to scare someone who's a professional NASCAR driver? Let's think about that. Or it's like a pilot. I'm a test pilot. I'm a fighter pilot. I'm in F-14s, F-35. We're doing loop-to-loops like this. Most of us lose our lunch just as they're warming up. And they say, hey, get in the plane, start flying, flying. It's rocking back and forth. And they say, hey, this is too fast for me. How fast are you going? That you're scaring a professional driver? That you're scaring a pilot? Or in this case, you're scaring people at sea who make their living at sea. It's bad. You say, well, I've seen a little storm in the rain today. No, this is, we're calling out uh, all, all flags, red flags at the beach or hurricanes coming. And they say, what have you done? What have you done? And so Jonah says, yeah, well, uh, it's me. No kidding. Thanks. And he says, uh, by the way, I've been running from God. Gets, it gets even better. And he says, um, if you toss me overboard, this will all settle. Well, this is all counter to what we believe. And so we start to get a picture here of different type of people, different groups of people. And the first group of people that we come across in this are those people who ignore God. Might be like you're ignoring me now. Oh, yeah, I'm paying attention. Yeah, okay, so pay attention. Have some people like this, stick their fingers in there, la, 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 not listening, not listening like this. Those people are ignoring you. Or it can be more subtle, like people on the phone all the time, they pull it out and they go like this. Are you listening? No, I'm listening. Huh? They're in another world. So those people are ignoring God. And who's ignoring God in this case? It's Jonah. He knows God, and he knows he should follow him, but yet he's saying, not today. I'm going to ignore God. That's the first group of people we see is those who ignore God. Second group of people are these sailors, these professional men at sea, and we see them row harder to fight because they said, Jonah's an idiot. I know he's gotten us all in trouble. We're going to row our way out of this because we're tough, rough, tough, and hard to bluff. They go, you know, or just breaks off and they're sweating bullets now again. And so you've got Jonah who knows God but ignores him. You've got people like the sailors, the second group, these people are fighting against God. So you're ignoring God or you're fighting God. Not a good way to be. Another group of people we don't actually even see in this story, but we hear about them. We get that notice that their wickedness, their bad behavior, this is so bad it's come up before God. And those are people who are ignorant of God. We like to use the term, you know, he's the ignoramus or you're ignorant or things like that. But really what ignorant means is we've all come to know more and more is you do not know about this subject. And in this case, the people of Nineveh know nothing about God. They've, they've never heard of him to ignore him or to fight him. They're just living carefree. So they say, yeah, we're having a good old time. Doesn't matter. You know, it's like those people, don't you have a test tomorrow in trig? Hey, it don't matter. Yeah, forget it. Yeah, go home. Watch the whole Star Wars trilogy in a day. Don't you have a test or something? No, I just stayed up all night. Just do a binge. Watch them all. 
How does that make you feel? Well, I felt exhausted and slept for about 14 hours the next day, but I got them all watched. Good, good. So, you know, they're just oblivious. They're ignorant of God. So three groups of people. Those people who ignore God. They know God. They're working for God, perhaps. As Christians, as believers, we all are to some extent. That's like Jonah, and he is ignoring God. Second group of people, again, are those like the sailors. Oh, uh, somebody else has gotten us in a mess, and we know God's out there. We'd be praying to Him if we weren't rowing and tossing all our life's uh, goods and livelihood over the side of the boat. But hey, we're going to fight everything it's worth. And so they're fighting God. And finally, those people get in Nineveh. They said, yeah, we're living just fine. Don't know about God. Don't care about God. Everything's going well. And so the big question that could come up is, what group are you in? And all of us have been in one of these groups or are in these groups at some point in our lives. Say, so I'm not now. I'm living for God. I want to seek Him. That's good. But he said before, I knew about God. I was raised in this type of household around these people. So I was not ignorant of Him and I wasn't fighting Him. But sometimes in my life, I would admit that, that you ignore God. And so that's one category. Or fighting is another. Or people who just don't know anything about them, they're ignorant of them, is another. And so what category are you in or were you in? And how can you avoid that in the future? Step aside. Push that away. So a story that's tied, interestingly, in with our theme and uh, with this story about different groups of people and how they're going to funnel in with that. And so, begin to tell you this story. Listen carefully, because the details always uh, catch my attention. And the more I know about it, I can almost picture it again in my mind. So, the story is this. It's a real one, not based on a true story. It is a true story. They said many years ago, in England, there was a young man who had been raised in a broken home. He never uh, knew his dad. In fact... When he was born on his birth certificate, it had his first name and his middle name because neither his mom, the hospital staff, anybody knew what to put for a last name. They didn't know his dad, didn't know anybody. So he has a first and a middle name. He actually came to use these later to be his first and last name. So he's grown up in a broken home, but yeah, he was also in church. He was baptized as a youth, but nevertheless, he developed a skepticism for Christianity. And he said, I could be like that. Sometimes the last place I want to be on Sunday mornings is to go to church. Or the last place I want to be here at chapel is, or at camp is in the chapel. Man, I go to the canteen, I can just hang out you know, for hours on end in the gym. Hey, great, that's time. So if you're like that, you could be like this guy here, like many people at many times. So he began to be skeptical of Christianity and a distrust of God developed. In fact, he began accepting more and more things of the world. Finally, he said, yeah, I, I'm going to have to admit, God may be there, he may not, I don't care. So he's, he's touched upon many of these categories here in his life, as we talked about. He began to dabble in drinking. He tried tarot cards. He even did Buddhism. He said, anything's better than what I'm doing. Maybe I can find, you know, a buzz. Maybe I can find a new interest. It's like a hobby. Some people collect stamps. I'm going to try drinking. Hey, it's something to do. Oh, okay. So, drank, messed with tarot cards, messed with Buddhism, all sorts of things. He said to try and give him hope and happiness. 
Because after all, he'd come from a broken home, not many dreams, no dad. And he said, despite all those things, nothing gave him much interest. In fact, later, as a uh, young man in his early 30s, that's like myself, he was actually arrested. He was arrested, came in, drunk and disorderly, other things. And they said, yeah, you, uh, you're not in a good way. And if you keep on this track, you're going to end up even worse. And so he sort of bounced back and he found fulfillment, actually found a little fame in acting. He went into acting. So he says, yeah, I better play it cool now. And that may be like us too to say, I've gotten caught before doing different things. And that's enough. I, I know. So like one DUI is enough. I'm not going to try, you know, three strikes are out. Hey, I'm stopping while I'm ahead. So he got into acting and he took on different roles. And one of them that he had when he was in his 40s. So he go from being born as a young man, a teenager, a 30s, 40s. This is several decades. So to show you these things don't automatically happen overnight. You could just uh, build up a distrust or a hate for lots of things. And a lot of people do it with God and do it with religion and say, I want no part of this. So we begin to ignore them. Or we just, after a while, we're, we're ignorant of things. We want no part of it. And we may fight against it. And so this man is very lonely and found some relief, some interest in acting. And in acting, he went to shoot a film in France one time. Anybody been to France? Oui. No. Okay. No. It, it's overseas. Yeah. So he's getting to travel. So two ways you can travel. Nothing else. You can join the military or become a flight attendant. Hey, there's two ways you can travel. Okay. So this man had another way, though. He said, I, I could do some acting and, and see the world and get some more hope in my life. And so he came to make a film in France. He was acting. And in this role, he was playing a priest, that is, a minister. So he was dressed up in a suit, you know, collar on like you see in different movies and TV shows. And as he walked along in France, as he got there, he said all of a sudden, in between takes, he said, okay, Break, I'm going to take a 10 minute break, break for five, break for 10. And he's just sort of walking back and forth in France in between things. And he said, a little boy came up to him, saw him dressed like this preacher, and he said, took his hand. And as he walked along, said the boy took his hand and he began talking to him. He couldn't understand him because he was speaking in French. He's rambling on back and forth, back and forth. And at the end of the conversation, he said, au revoir, mon Père, my father, and he knew enough. He knew enough of French to understand that. We all know au revoir, bonjour. So the boy said goodbye, father, like he would a Catholic priest or so. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. Ran off, and the man said, this boy thought I was a minister, and actually I'm not, and I didn't even know enough to tell him that in French. But he was very trusting in me, and he believed in me, and he trusted in what. I stood for. And this began to uh, change the man's perception. And he said, such a small act actually got his attention. And he said, when I went back home in England, he said, maybe I'll give church another try. And in fact, he said this about the encounter. He said, I began to shake off my long-taught and long-absorbed prejudices against the church. Because before he said, I've been in the church, I've seen that it's just a con job for most people, and I don't like it. And I, I don't like what it stands for. But he says, this act here of this boy believing in it, he said, 
This actually changed my mind. Sort of like, all Christians are jerks. Then you turn around and say, I met this one guy at camp, or I met this girl at church or something, and I talked to him, and they weren't a jerk. And they actually seemed reasonable, and they made me give uh, the church a second try. This is what happened to this man. And so that in itself is interesting. It's a real-life story again, and the guy says, it caught my attention. Moreover than that, God, though, in his infinite wisdom, began to use the force in a new way in this man's life. And he says, rather than just giving the church a second chance, said, I want you to give me a second chance and think. So when he got back home in England a short time later to making the film there, he said his son fell ill. He is married by this time, had a son. He said he grew deathly ill with polio. And it's a debilitating disease. He said he actually became paralyzed from the waist down and it didn't look good. And he says, walking home one day, never done it before. Because again, he's not a Christian. He's not seeking out gods like people everybody we assume is christian just like everybody knows we assume we know jonah not the case he was very skeptical and very anti-church and anti-god and anti all the things you may stand for or assume everybody likes it's not the case and walking home he said with my son sick i went as i never did before and what did he do he went to pray and he said a church i'd never been in before said i said there's the nearest church i'm going to go in and pray he went in and prayed, and he said, God, please help my son. He's dying. He can't walk about, and he should be able to. And in fact, uh, help me too. And he prayed that God would open up his mind and his heart to him. And so God's plan, this force begins to work. He no longer is skeptical of the church. He said, I'll give it a second try, but that's not enough. God says, give me a second try. So he prays, and he says, make a deal sort of with you like Jonah. If you toss me overboard, you save these guys, we'll go on. He said, if you heal my son, I'll give you a second chance, and we'll go from there. And so, believe it or not, short time later, to the uh, amazement of the doctors, and basically everybody around except him, see, remember this, his son got better. So they were reunited, happy as can be, he's up and about, everything's fine. Man could say, hey, God's helped me, help me here, help me there, move on. And in fact, he could really do this because he began to uh, build up not just a little fame, but a lot of fame. And as an actor, there's a few things you always want to get as an actor. Little statues like this, give them out once a year. The Academy Awards are, what's the other name for the Academy Awards? Starts with an O. The Oscar. Actually, this guy, he got an Oscar. And he was nominated for several more. He got a lot of money. And on top of that, what a lot of people in Britain would like to have is he got a knighthood. So he's knighted from the queen. So he's got an Oscar. He's got money. He's got a knighthood. And he does all these different films. In fact, most of his films that he did were in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And guess what? You've never heard of them. And it doesn't matter. And that's the way a lot of people had known him in these older films. And younger people like you and me would say, yeah, I've never heard of this guy. But yet even in not hearing of him, he's got all these uh, accolades, these awards. And so he, he was sitting pretty. God had helped him. God had helped his family make this successful career. But yet, again, God's not done with him. 
And come along in the 70s, he came to audition for a role. He said, I really didn't want the role. But he said, I, I got a good deal and talked to my agent. And they said, we can get you a lot of money out of this. And he said, okay, I'll do the role. And so this older man at this time, probably the oldest man on the cast, but he's also the most well-paid on the cast. And though he had made movies in the 40s and 50s and 60s, this film that he made in the 70s that he didn't even like at all is why he's actually known today. So who is this guy, if you haven't guessed by now? This is Sir Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi. And as he came in, he said, you know, I've got all these accolades, and I've got all these things, but really it's my faith that got my attention. And he wrote to his wife in a, or he wrote to his wife in a letter one time, and he said, the most important thing that's happened to me is not films, is not money. And in fact, he said, I'll speak for all of humanity, men and women alike. He wrote this. He said, the most important and supreme happy moment in my life is, he said, when I went and he thought about God. So think about that. This man has a ton of money and a ton of fame. And he says, the most important thing I could do, and it's emotional to think this guy, he could write off God completely. And he said, the most important thing is that we could be uh, adopted by God. And why is that touching too? Because he had no dad. He didn't know his dad. And he didn't know anything else for a long time. And God grabbed his attention and said, the most important thing is not all this, but it's God. And he said, I can be adopted. And he wrote this to his wife in a letter. And he said, it's a good feeling. That's what is really important, to be adopted. So here's a guy and he said, hey, wow, that's cool. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. It is cool. But to me, it's even more cool to know his personal story. And I get touched by history because I was a history major in college and a history professor. And so when I know real stories about people, say the Bible's real, it is, but it's also several centuries, several thousand years away from me. And when I think about that, I say, yeah, it's touching and I can, I can understand it. It's hard to relate to it. When I see people who are alive and well or just passed away in the last few years, it's even more real to me. And I think these people had it all. And they'll say, yeah, but it didn't mean as much as my relationship with God. So think about that. It's the most supreme and happy, important moment. He says, I believe when God gives each man and woman according to their own capacity. So if you say, I'm not that smart and uh, I'm never going to be an actor like him, I'm not going to do this. He says, it doesn't matter. God's going to give you a glimpse, a glimpse of his promise. And what's his promise? That we can have eternal salvation and security in God. And whether you have a great dad, whether you have no dad, whether you have mom, dad, grandma, whoever, he says, it doesn't matter. We can be adopted and be sons and daughters of God. He says, that's the greatest thing. And I thought, how, how amazing is that? And so, yeah, we think about that and pause. And you say, okay, end of the message. Let's wrap up. Go back again and think, though. All these people, you can be ignoring God. You can be fighting God. You might be ignorant of God. And he would admit to falling in at least one of those categories, many of us too. So think about that. And I want you to just close your eyes now. We'll pray. And we're almost done. But think about that, how God can say, uh, you can ignore me, you can fight me, you can just totally be ignorant of me, but I want you to trust me. 
And regardless of your upbringing, uh, I, I want to adopt you. And adoption is more uh, special, some would say, than having your own child. Because some people, they had a child in the case of Alec Guinness, and they didn't want him. They didn't want to have a connection with him. So yeah, we're going to distance. When you're adopted, you're chosen. And so God chooses us. And so in choosing us, he says, I want Andy. I want Paul. I want whoever else. Name, put your name in here. And he says, I want them. Now, do they want me? Then you can say yes or no. There's no yes, no, maybe so. They either want to be adopted or they don't want to be adopted. And so, in the case of Alec Guinness, certainly he wanted to be adopted, not having a father of his own and not having the peace or happiness associated with so much uh, he said, yeah, I'd, I'd want to be adopted. So see, you have to make a decision on your part. And so that's where I would challenge you tonight as we close to say, I know God. I was born and raised in the church. Hey, that's great. That's fine. But have you chosen to follow him? You say, well, I go to church. That's fine too. I've been baptized. Hey, that's great. But are you choosing to follow him? Have you made a conscious effort? Or do you just sort of ignore him except for couple hours on Sunday. Or you can say, I'm fighting God. God, he, he took away my, my grandma. I really loved her. She helped raise me. And then, you know, she died. And I just feel like God's, you know, done me wrong. Hey, that's fine. You, you and a million, trillion other people feel that way. So you're not alone. But, you know, are you fighting God? You say, yeah. Or you say, I've never been to camp before. I never heard a message like this before. And yet, uh, you know, I've, I've grown up, been around God, been around godly influences all my life, but I just feel sort of ignorant of it. I've never really considered it. And here's this weird, nerdy guy up front telling me stuff about Star Wars, telling me this and that. You know, he's emotional. I'm hungry. We want to get to camp. We want to do fun stuff. And yet this has come along in an odd way. So how do, I, how do I deal with this? Well, again, are you ignoring God? Are you fighting God? Or are you just sort of ignorant of God? If you're in one of those categories, I'd invite you to say, let me try and step out of it just for a moment to consider. And uh, whether it's a person or whether it's an event, uh, both things touched uh, this actor. Both things may touch you that uh, say... Let me step out again of where I'm at and consider God, consider how He can move me and how He could use me, but ultimately how His force, which involves so much, uh, but most important for us, involves His love and grace. He doesn't want anybody to be on the dark side. And what's the dark side? dark side is anything that ignores God. So as our eyes are closed, as we're concentrating, as best we can say, Am I doing all I can to step away from the dark side and consider the light and the truth and all these good things that are in movies? Yes, but that's, again, just a glimpse of what we see in God to say, am I stepping towards that direction? That truth is something special and unlike anything else in the world. In Uncle Paul's favorite verse, he says, I'll know the truth. God sends us through Jesus and the truth will set us free. Free from what? Well, free from Worry, free from doubt, free from, you know, this anger, free from whatever else may be bothering you. You say, all this sounds great, and it sounds pretty easy. 
It is. Following God is easy at times because all you have to do is say, God, I want to follow you. I want to turn away. Now later it may get difficult, yeah. But ultimately you'll come back and say, this is the best decision I ever made. And it's going to be easy at the beginning. It's going to be easy at the end. Why? Because God's going to be there to usher you right into his presence and to take care of you. So I've given lots of examples, things from Hollywood, things from my life, things that I hope might uh, be in your life. And you say, yeah, that makes sense. If it has, then hallelujah, I'm thrilled. And if you say, I just want to be quiet for a little bit and uh, consider what you said, that's fine too. So I would invite you. If you say, I'm in those categories, I'm ignoring God, I'm fighting God, or I just don't know anything about it, but I'd like to, I'd like to change, then by all means, uh, let us know. Uh, Talk to me, talk to Uncle Paul. People would be thrilled beyond belief to say, God loves you, I want to tell you some more about him. That's the most important thing you can do. Not racing down to canteen, not racing down to s'mores, whatever it is. Most important thing you could do is to say, I want to know more about God. If you're like that, I invite you, you just uh, grab one of us as you go out and uh, just sit and consider that for a moment. I invite Uncle Paul to, to come up here, and if you want to talk to either of us, you can. Or if uh, after that time, you can just slip out your cabins they can go on to uh, the next activity but hey there's no hurry uh, we've got nowhere else to go and lots of lots of things to consider I've given you a lot of heavy stuff but it can again be easy if uh, if you want it to be so come and talk to us uh, sit where you are Pray and say, uh, God, uh, give me the answer, and he'll be thrilled to do so. And if you say, I'm, I'm good, I want to do even better, pray for that too. And if you say, I'm ready, you can move on, then you can quietly uh, slip out, that's all right, and go wherever they need to next.